Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Today's topic is tune in and let go. Lessons from the prayer life of Jesus. Tune in and let go. Lessons from the prayer life of Jesus. I'm, I'm just so excited about today. Uh, this theme emerged for me, of course, many, many years ago, but in particular, a few years ago, when I began an in-depth study in the Gospel of Luke, I noticed that there was this uh, large emphasis on the prayer life of Jesus, more than the other Gospels. And so that led me to a deeper study into Luke's emphasis on the prayer life of Jesus and how it was so unique. And I realized, wow, there's a lot here. I actually ended up reading a doctoral thesis that became a book on called Jesus the Intercessor, uh, Prayer and Christology by David Crum, uh, based on Luke and Acts. And it was just tremendous and led me into all kinds of in-depth study in, in the scripture. So enough time has passed from that, that I've been able to integrate it uh, thoughtfully, theologically. And so here we are in this podcast. And so Luke's emphasis is, is different than, say, Mark and, and Matthew and, and John. So for example, you see texts in Mark, like where it says when the disciples could not drive out this epileptic boy and the demon in him, and they say, Jesus, why could we drive it out? And Jesus says, this kind can only come out by prayer. And texts like in Mark 11, 22 to 24, where Jesus says, uh, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be done to you. And, and so, you know, again, the theme is, is that God acts only in response to our prayers. But Luke's bringing a different dimension here. And, and he's emphasizing Jesus as a model of prayer, as a praying Messiah. And it, it's different, as you'll see in just a few moments, it's about tuning in and letting go. And I'll explain it much more thoroughly in a nice Bible study in a moment. But I, I think the reason it's not emphasized Luke's uh, contribution to prayer uh, in the Western church in particular is because you can't do this kind of praying as Jesus does unless you've got space, unless you're not busy, unless you're not under a lot of pressure. Uh, it requires a depth of relationship with the Father and uh, a serious spirituality and, and discipleship. So today's podcast, I pray, is going to lift a heavy yoke off of you, and you'll really enter into the light yoke of Jesus. But I pray it fills you with joy and excitement and freedom uh, and motivates you by the Spirit to enter more deeply into uh, the prayer life of Jesus to the Father, uh, and you might enjoy him like never before. And so there's three parts to today as I'm going to break it up. I want to just begin with a, a, a little bit of my story and my journey around prayer. And then I want to go into uh, Jesus' prayer life, at least in the, in the Gospel of Luke, and, and break that down for you. And then I want to answer four common, frequently asked questions around this, okay, that come up all the time. So let me begin first with my story. So my first 17 years as a Christian, uh, I saw prayer as primarily it was interceding. Now, of course, I did worship, but I my prayer life was I had a prayer list and I was praying for God to touch people and do things and advance his kingdom. And the theme was basically, uh, as I was taught, and it was definitely the atmosphere was God doesn't move unless we pray. And so uh, there were certain authors that were quite well known about prayer and revival. And I remember preaching and using their quotes all the time. They would say things like, around us is a world lost in sin, and God is willing to save. It's ours to build the bridge that links heaven and earth, and it's prayer, the mighty instrument that does this work. Another quote went like this, no man or woman is greater than their prayer life. 
There are few intercessors. I'm sorry, the, the pastor who's not praying is a player. We have many organizers, but not but few organ but few agonizers, few prayers, few intercessors, few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. Prayer is not a preparation for the battle, wrote another. Prayer is the battle. And so again, it was this understanding of I don't pray, God's not going to move. And and so I, I remember preaching sermons more than once on it. Uh, Colossians 4.12 about Epaphras, who says where he, he was a servant of Jesus and he wrestled in prayer uh, to God for the saints at Colossae. And the word there, he agonized in prayer. And I would call our people to agonize in prayer to God. And I remember being in, in classes and seminars and seminary and talking about the largest churches in the world that places like South Korea, that early morning prayer every day and, ha and nights of prayer and the weekends, and, and that this was the price I had to pay if we were going to see revival and see God move. And so in my early days, uh, I, would be, I would be in prayer meetings, honestly, six, eight, ten hours a week, early morning prayer, half nights of prayer every Friday night. And, uh, I, and I had to mobilize people for prayer because that was the only way God was going to move. It was one of the measurements I had for success. But there was a lot of anxiety in that a lot of pressure. Uh, I felt a heavy weight, weight, uh, a heavy yoke. And the message was simply this that I had in my head that Pete, things are not going to move supernaturally unless you pay the price and pray. Uh, and the reason not moving quickly and powerfully is because you're not paying the price. Uh, and it was almost like a slot machine. You know, I pray God moves. And uh, so quite different than when I entered into this paradigm we call emotionally healthy discipleship today, uh, there was a shift from getting from God to actually being with God and a slowing down to silence and solitude and stillness and an emphasis on tuning in and communion uh, and a slow down spirituality that was drawing from the riches of the monastic tradition. And there's like this surrendering and letting go became much more of a thrust and much more of a two-way communication with God, not just me talking and interceding, but much more receiving and listening. And so uh, that was a big shift, that idea of abiding all day. Not that it, I stopped intercession, because uh, I am about mission, Matthew 28, 18. I'm very much committed to the glory of Jesus extending to all the earth in Matthew 28. And, and I pray every day, the Our Father, multiple times a day, especially the first part of the Our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your name be praised, hallowed, not profaned. And your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. And so that is my prayer that I trust is all of our prayer. That's a missional prayer. But there's an aspect of prayer, which is critical, that we see in the life of Jesus that I really want us to pay attention to today, and I want to talk to you about. It's about tuning in and letting go. Nobody has ever prayed with the power, the effectiveness, the authority of Jesus. And uh, the topic of prayer, of cor course, is vast in Scripture. Uh, we don't build a theology on a single verse. We build it on the all of Scripture. Uh, but Luke's gospel very intentionally gives us a glimpse into the praying life of Jesus as a model for us. And he's bringing a very important dimension to prayer that's indispensable, that's critical for us as disciples and as leaders in his church. And so it's of immense import importance. So I'll summarize it like this, and then I'm going to break it down into a few categories of Jesus' prayer life. In Luke, prayer for Jesus, is the place to discern the mind of God. Uh, 
and to discover or draw on the resources of God so I can do the special task that he, God has for me. And so Luke, prayer is a means of attuning. I like the word attuning, attuning to the father so that I can participate in what he's doing and what's unfolding in front of me, even though it may be unexpected and surprising. And so in Jesus' prayer life, we see four major components. So let's do a little Bible study here in the Gospel of Luke. It's so rich. Uh, in Jesus' prayer life, as we observe him, uh, the first major component we see is that prayer is a place of communion for Jesus. And so we see it in places like uh, Luke 3, 31 and 21, 22, when it says, uh, when Jesus had been baptized and was praying, then the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove and said, you know, the Father spoke, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And so this open door dynamic in Luke between heaven and earth is prayer. That, In other words, prayer is the means of this two-way communication, this communion uh, between heaven and earth. Prayer is the doorway of heaven and earth. It's We open ourselves to God. We position ourselves. It's a place of communion. And so we, we, we get in this communion, we get a sense of our mission and purpose uh, and boundaries on the exercise of our power and all that. But it's a it's first for Jesus. Prayer is about communion with Abba and the Father. And out of that flows the second big component of Jesus' prayer life, which is prayer is the place where he gets clarity around his ministry direction. So he doesn't just have communion in prayer. He also gets clarity around the direction of his ministry. And so we see this in multiple places. So we see it right there at the beginning of the gospel. And when it says uh, at daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place and, and everyone's looking for him. And they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, everybody's looking for you. But he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also. And so he leaves. But it's in that place of prayer that he realizes, he sees, I'm not to stay in Capernaum. I am to be an itinerant uh, preacher and travel throughout Judea. And so wilderness or the desert, as I like to say, I like to say a cell, this, our cell or desert place is the place of getting vocational clarity. Uh, he learns the Father's will for his life as it's unfolding in prayer. It reaffirms the contours of his ministry, the, the boundaries of his ministry. And of course, he's fundamentally committing himself afresh to God's will for his life. And so we read in places like Luke 5, 16, that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and pray. That's a very significant verse because at that moment, Jesus' popularity is exploding. People are coming from everywhere. And his ungo in his ongoing practice of going to lonely places to pray, he gets clarity that this rise in popularity is dangerous uh, for his mission. And so he pulls away from the crowds and he tells people, don't tell anyone about me, you know, who I am. In fact, it's interesting. He raises Jairus's daughter from the dead and he tells him, tell no one what has happened so fascinating because he's he recognizes he's got clarity about his mission and that comes out of a place of prayer i remember uh a number of years ago a denominational leader came to me and i was finishing my tenure as the local church lead pastor uh over many years and he said pete you have to 
expand this ministry, go multi-site, uh, and give this to the world and provide DNA in lots of different places. And he was quite passionate. He had actually thought through a whole plan. He came from a different city. It was very nice and very kind. But I rem- And so basically, I walked away saying, am I missing God? Uh, am I being disobedient to God and what he has for me? And uh, I realized as I got to a place of prayer, I was got clear, like, no, uh, that's not for me. I trust it will be for the one who succeeds me and the ministry, but it's not for me. Uh, it's very helpful. Again, this idea of clarity of mission, it's when Jesus goes up to a mountainside to pray all night to God that he gets clarity about choose 12 to be your authorized representatives uh, on the earth. And he spends a whole night praying to God. So it's, again, clarity comes out of a whole night of prayer. And so, again, you need space for this. Uh, and let me just remind you, we, we, we published a free ebook recently called Spaciousness, Avoiding the Eight Traps That Steal Your Margin. And it's a free ebook. Let me encourage you to pick it up at emotionallyhealthy.org slash spaciousness. I've gotten a lot of feedback, uh, how people have so enjoyed it. Uh, again, it's a free ebook at emotionallyhealthy.org slash spaciousness. I encourage you to pick that up. So again, in Jesus' prayer life, we observe, one, it's a place of communion for him, being with the Father. Secondly, it's a place he gets clarity. Uh, oh, wait, let me say one more thing before I go further here. The reason this prayer life of getting clarity of what's the Father doing and attuning to him is so important is because we really don't know the big picture we actually have a very limited view. One of my favorite texts is Romans 11, 33 to 36, after Paul's expounding on in Romans 9 to 11 on this mystery of God's unfolding plan through history with the Jews and the Gentiles, an incredible text. Then he ends by saying, this is, you know, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the minds of the Lord, who's been his counselor. And, and his point is that God's ways are, are just, we can't possibly see from our little vantage point, the big picture God's doing in in, in the world today. I mean, I, I was thinking about all the chaos going on in the world right now, what it must've been like to be a Christian as the Roman empire was falling, this thousand year empire that was at that point Christian and planting churches and spreading the gospel all over the world as the Roman empire fell and pagans came and took over the empire. It must've seemed like the end of the world. But again, God was unfolding a larger plan on the earth. We just can't see it. And so the reason we've got to attune is because we need to be listening and doing what he's given us to do and hearing, uh, hearing him. Otherwise, on our limited perspective, we think this is the way it should go. We just make plans. We pray and we start, how do I use my gifts the best that I could to expand the kingdom versus attuning to how does he want that to unfold? Very, very different. Listen, there are, I'm going to read you something because one of my little hobbies is cosmology, studying what they're discovering on the universe. But do you know there's a hundred billion galaxies? that we know about, and that each of those galaxies has a hundred billion stars. Uh, that's the visible universe that contains 10,000 million, million, million stars, all right? There are more stars in the universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. 
In fact, the light that comes from the most distant galaxy has traveled 13 plus billion years to get here at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. In other words, God's so big. I mean, our mind can't even fathom the bigness of God. Yet, and so prayer is the primary means that God uses to reveal his will to us. Uh, and so his invitation is to attune to him and then join him in that. And again, there's lots of surprises that come as we attune to his will. All right, communion, clarity. But a third thing that happens in Jesus' prayer life is it's a place of receiving power, power from heaven. The resources actually do God's will. And, and so we too need the resources and the power to do what God's put before us. And the classic text, is, is a, there's a mo- number of them in, in the scriptures here in Luke, but the largest one is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is sweating drops of blood, he's struggling, and he says, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass for me. And uh, he's wrestling with the will of the Father, he's doing discernment, getting clarity, but then it says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Uh, and so in this place, he gets power. And uh in the midst of trial and testing. And so we learn from Jesus that the way to triumph or victory, that is victory defined as doing God's will and his purpose, it comes through persistent, earnest, surrendering prayer. We receive power. And so what's interesting, he receives the power to drink the cup that the Father's placed before him and go to the cross and die. Uh, but he comes out of that place of prayer, struggling prayer, and he actually has composure. And so when Judas comes with the crowds and the clubs and the, to arrest him, uh, he's very much in, in, he's centered, he's anchored, he's in control in a good sense, because he knows the Father's doing something here. The Father's leading him to the cross. The 12 disciples, the three in particular, who were invited to, to pray with him, they fell asleep. They, they did not pray. And so the disciples were had no perspective. They couldn't see what the Father was doing, that this arrest and betrayal was actually God's will. This diminishment of the ministry was God. Uh, they can't see God's purpose being served, and they're agitated and confused and upset. And so Peter picks up the sword, and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, and they scatter. They, they overstep themselves. They, they're making plans they shouldn't be making because— They've not been in communion. They've not gotten clarity. They've not received power because they've not been in prayer. That's not been the place of their discipleship. Another powerful text, which is fascinating, comes also out of when Jesus prays all night at the mountain to uh, all night and he prays and he chooses the 12. And a few verses later, later, it says this, and the crowd sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed many. It's out of this night of prayer, power comes out from Jesus, his very presence, his person, and people just get healed, touching him. And so there's power that God communicates to us, that God gives to us. It's not instant. It's not like, again, it's not like a slot machine. But as we cultivate a life of communion and uh, attunement to the Father over years, God releases power. Now, I wanted the power like on, I, I prayed on Tuesday a lot, give me the power on Wednesday. I don't know how God does it, but I do know this, as we spend time with the Father, God releases power and we need that. All right, but it happens over years, not days or seconds. The final thing we learn about Jesus' prayer life is that it's a place where Jesus intercedes 
for the 12, that they might get spiritual insight and that they might persevere uh, uh, in, in the faith. So he, he's interceding for the 12 in prayer. That's a theme for I'll tell you, three things, for spiritual insight, they might get revelation, and that they might persevere in, in testing. Think of those whom God's given you to influence, whether it's your pastor, you've got a flock, a leadership, you're a board member, uh, you've got a staff, or you're a team leader, you've got your team, or maybe you're a parent at home, you've got your, your family, or you've got your friends, or uh, you've got your ministry, or maybe you're even in the marketplace, you've got your people whom you lead or influence. But God's given you those to lead, and God does call us to pray for them. Now, what's interesting, Jesus doesn't pray for Peter's big toe that maybe he stubbed his toe, or Matthew uh, maybe has a, um, you know, a problem with his horse. Uh, not that we don't pray for the little things we do. His prayer is not about Matthew's headache. That's the thing I wrote down here. But we see him praying at the Mount of Transfiguration, for example, and then boom, transfiguration happens and the disciples see Jesus in all of his glory. There's a connection of he's in prayer on the mountain of transfiguration and the disciples see his glory. They get a taste of, of heaven. Uh, we see the same thing when Jesus is praying and the right at that moment, he goes and he asks Peter, who do people say that I am? Or disciples, who do people say that I am? And he's conf G Peter confesses, you're God's Messiah. Uh, Peter's the first human being to recognize that Jesus is God and God's Messiah. But he comes to that conclusion only in the context of Jesus praying. And scholars rightfully, most scholars rightfully say that he's praying for them to get revelation. And we see the same theme in the crucifixion story. He says, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And boom, the centurion comes to Jesus. The road to Emmaus, that journey, he breaks bread, their eyes are opened. Um, but we are like Jesus. We're to pray in our place of prayer for those around us that God's given us to influence that they might see and hear Jesus. They might get revelation, that they might persevere. Remember, Peter says to Peter, uh, Satan has uh, asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith might not fail. And, and so Jesus prays for their faith to persevere. And um, Peter thinks he's more prepared than he actually is. And we need to be praying for those whom God's given to us to lead, that they might persevere, they might get revelation. I love that. Uh, just imagine without, I, I'm so grateful that Jesus is praying for me, interceding for me, that I might make it. He knows I need perseverance. So let me just summarize this before I go to the FAQs. This, Luke's contribution to prayer, the dimensions of prayer that are of immense importance to us as disciples and as leaders is this. Prayer is the place to discern the mind of God and then discover or draw on his resources and power till we can do what he's given us to do in life. Prayer is the place, the means we become attuned uh, to God's plan and actually participate in it. So I gave you four things about Broke it down, at least in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' prayer life is marked by communion with the Father, clarity, getting clarity. It's the place of getting receiving power, and it's the place of intercession as well for the 12. So here's, I'm going to give you a close with this, four um, big, what's the word, um, four FA, frequently asked questions that people, again, that trip them up. Uh, again, first question, what about those two passages in Luke? Luke 11 and Luke 18 that say things like, you know, the, the story of the friend who comes at midnight and the person will not answer inside the door in Luke 11. And uh, the parable goes like this. I tell you, even though the person inside will not 
get up and get their bread for them, but because of his boldness or shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And then it goes, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Uh, and then he goes, which of you asking for a, uh, uh, a fish will give someone, you know, a snake? And uh, your father knows what you need. He's going to give you good things. Uh, and then the second big text in Luke 18 is that of a widow who comes to an unjust judge and is asking for justice and she wears him out and, and basically judges because he's worn me out, she's worn me out. I'm going to give her what she wants. So you get this idea that if I persist, I get what I want. I get what I, and I, and really the context in Luke is this, God is a good father. Uh, human parents give good gifts to their kids. How much more your father in heaven. And so Jesus is a revelation of God is good. He's kind. Uh, he's loving. That's who he is. That's his nature. And he's always going to give you the best he can. But God is the only one who overcomes the powers of, of evil in the world. It's his, he brings the kingdom of God. And as we pray and stay in that place of prayer, it gets very difficult to stay faithful and to not give up and quit because there's disappointments. We get discouraged. All the chaos in the world going on around us, that's why he says, and so th that invitation is to stay faithful in prayer even when it appears that nothing's happening. That's why it says in Luke 18, but when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? In other words, praying and crying out to God against the injustices of the world is the whole life of every one of us as believers. We're praying thy kingdom come. But the gracious, good character of God has been established by Jesus very clearly, and we're to be persistently praying. Again, getting clarity, communing with the Father in the face of all the wrong around us until the coming of Jesus again. So again, that those parables are more about staying in place of prayer in the midst of disappointment. Second big question that comes up all the time is, well, where does strong leadership fit in, Pete? And where does vision fit in if you're telling me to attune to the Father and just do what he wants? And I'll just say to you, how does it fit in? It fits in, just look at Jesus. Jesus gets clear direction from the Father and he's very active you know, on the earth in bringing the kingdom. Same thing with Moses, same thing with Paul, same thing we see in the book of Acts. There's lots of action, but it flows from a deep place with the Father. Listen, I have lots of vision, but what, what prayer helps me with is boundaries. So I don't go off track and do vision three, four, and five when God said, that's not for you to do. You're to do just simply number one over here. Uh, so it takes great humility. Third big question that comes up a lot is, when are we too passive? Uh, where's the line in that? Well, again, we are in the process of, we're Ephesians 4 leaders, right? We're, we're putting the bones in place in the body of Christ. We're pastors and, and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles, and, and, we're, and we're equipping the saints for the work of service in the world. And so we're building something. In fact, I'm very committed that we're training a new generation of leaders, hopefully people like yourself, to lead from a deep inner walk with Jesus. We lead from a different place. Uh, and so we're being before we do, we're, we're going back in order to go forward. We're discovering treasures in grief and loss. We're embracing God's gift of limits. We've got a new scorecard for success, but God's on the move and God's working. And so passivity is, we, it, 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 we're not passive. We're, we're tuning and letting go, but we're joining God in his work. And then finally, last frequently asked question is, well, how do I tune in? How do I get better at tuning in for clarity and receiving of this power in prayer? Well, let me encourage you to start, uh, a great place to start is with the 
uh, Emotional Healthy Spirituality and Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, part one and part two. Uh, that's the reason we put it together was to begin to equip and lead people like yourself into a whole new way of understanding discipleship, prayer, and following Jesus. And uh, again, it's a course, but it's really a culture, and it's meant to lay a foundation for this kind of a prayer life of depth and attunement and letting go with Jesus. Again, it's not all of prayer, but it's a critical foundation for it, and it's not one that we know well in the West. And then following that, I would encourage you to check out Ignatian spirituality, the Ignatian exercises, et cetera. But the, to me, the starting place would be the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. Again, you can check it out for free, a free session at emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. Check it out. I think you'll find it helpful. Emotionallyhealthy.org slash preview. It's free. Check it out. So be encouraged, everybody, as we close here. Jesus is a praying Messiah. He is the intercessor. And he's interceding for you right now at the right hand of the Father. That's what it says in Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.26. Jesus, who died, is always interceding for us. So he's praying for you, and he's praying for me that we might persevere and finish what he has for us, finish the race he's laid out for us. I love that. I have prayed for you, says Jesus, that your faith may not fail. Ah. My friends, and we want to be like our praying Messiah, Jesus. We want to be leaders. We want to be followers. Our life is marked by prayer. So again, let me invite you, check out that free ebook at emotionallyhealthy.org slash spaciousness uh, and get a nice spacious life so that you can cultivate a prayer life of depth. All right, everybody. Thank you so much been so good to be with you. I've so enjoyed preparing this and kind of putting it together in some kind of orderly fashion. And I pray that God may enable you to become a prayer like Jesus, leading out of a place of deep communion. I pray you might be a prayer like Jesus, attuning to God's plan for you. I pray you might be a prayer like Jesus, receiving power at each step of the journey as you face obstacles. And I pray you might be a prayer like Jesus, faithfully interceding for those around you that God's given you to lead, that they might get insight, they might get revelation, and they might persevere through the testings in which they find themselves. God bless everybody. Have a great day.